to total career success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. The mission of this radio show is to enable every listener to achieve their career aspirations and advance their careers to achieve their potential and meet their financial goals. Now, here are your hosts, Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Welcome. This is Ken and Cheryl Dawson with Marshall Goldsmith, executive coach to CEOs and author of What Got You Here Won't Get You There. We've got an exciting show for you today. And, um, you know, when successful people reach a point in their careers where promotions stop, um, they wonder what's going on. They reach a plateau or attain what may be considered their level of incompetence and wonder, oh, what do I do now? Uh, Even leaders who reach the very pinnacle of organizations and become CEO are susceptible to the perception that they are their own worst enemy or they turn people off or they may undermine their own success and that of their organizations. Well, with us today is Marshall Goldsmith, known as America's preeminent executive coach. Whether you are an executive or aspire to become a leader, today's interview can help you achieve your career goals more effectively and be even more successful than you've already achieved. Well, let me give you a brief introduction to Marshall. Um, And Dr. Marshall Goldsmith is a world um, authority in helping successful leaders get even better or by achieving positive, lasting change in their behavior for themselves, but for their people, as well as for their team. What Got You Here Won't Get You There is a New York Times bestseller and winner of the Harold Longman Award for Best Business Book of the Year. It has been translated into 23 languages as a top 10 bestseller in six countries. The American Management Association has named Dr. Goldsmith as one of the 50 great thinkers and leaders who have influenced the field of management over the past 80 years. He uh, received his Ph.D. from UCLA, teaches uh, at Dartmouth Tuck School, and frequently uh, speaks at leading business schools. A fellow of the National Academy of Human Resources, a top HR honor, Uh, Marshall has coached over 100 major CEOs in their management teams. So now let me introduce to you Marshall Goldsmith. Thank you so much for joining us out of your busy schedule today. Well, thank you for this kind invitation. Happy to be here. Excellent. Well, Marshall, can you give us just a brief background on how you got into executive coaching? Well, I got into executive education purely by, uh, almost by accident. I met a very famous man named Dr. Paul Hersey. Uh, he was one of the top paid consultants in the world at that time. I followed him around, loved what he did, and he was kind enough to help me. One day he got double booked, and he said, do you think you can do what I do? I said, I don't know. He said, I'll pay you $1,000 for one day. I was making $15,000 a year, so you know what I said? <laughs> Sign me up, coach. Now, that was 32 years ago. I was 28 years old. $1,000 for one day was a whole lot of money for a kid. And that's how I got into the business. I was very fortunately very successful. And then I, in terms of coaching, I had similar fortuitous event. I was talking to a CEO, and he said, I've got this young guy working for us, young, smart, dedicated, hardworking, driven to achieve, creative, entrepreneurial, stubborn, know-it-all. He said it would be worth a fortune to me if I could turn that guy around. I heard the word fortune, and I said, I like fortunes. Maybe I could help him. He said, I doubt it. I said, maybe I could help him. He said, I don't think so. That's when I came up with my idea. I said, I'll work with the guy for a year. If he gets better, pay me. If he doesn't, it's free. What did he say? Sold. So all of my work in behavioral coaching is done on a pay-only-for-results basis, and that's how I got started. 
Wow, that's um, that's a, a, a offer that hardly anybody can refuse. And with the uh, popularity of your book, uh, Marshall, it certainly suggests that there are a lot of leaders uh, who would like to be more successful or who may be held back from getting where they want to go. Why do you think this is true? Well, I talk about this in the book. The very beliefs that lead us to become successful can make it hard for us to change. Uh, for example, successful people believe I have succeeded. And this, we're, we're kind of delusional in terms of how good we think we've been in the past. And this delusional belief and how good we are gives us confidence and actually helps us become more effective in the future. It does make it hard, though, to hear negative feedback, which is inconsistent with this unrealistically positive self-image we develop. Successful people believe I choose to succeed. A fancy term is self-efficacy. I'm doing what I'm doing because I choose to, not because I, I have to. And if we do what we do because we have to, we're, we're compliant. We do what we do because we choose to. We're committed. The problem is the more committed we are to a path, harder it is to admit it's the wrong path. Successful people believe I can succeed. And we fall into something called a superstition trap. I believe I behave this way. I have been a success. I have therefore been a success because I behave this way. Any human or any animal will tend to replicate behavior that's followed by positive reinforcement. And the more positive reinforcement we get, the more likely we are to fall into this superstition trap and confuse what I call in spite of and because of behaviors. And finally, successful people believe I will succeed. Successful people are optimists. Just optimists tend to chronically overcommit, and the reason people don't do all the good things that I teach them to do is not because they're bad, mean, or evil, or stupid, because they're busy. And it's very hard when we get so busy just to do all those things that we know are good in the long term but are tough in the short term. Marshall, it must be very difficult today to watch what is going on in Wall Street, what is going on in the economy. With your background and success, um, Without getting into a long, in-depth explanation, I'm sure you have some observations on what has occurred uh, and what is it going to take to get us out of this. Your thoughts, well, sir? Well, I mean, you know, number one, I'm not an economist. I have an undergraduate degree in mathematical economics. I'm not an expert on economics anymore. But in terms of looking at the economy, it's related to some of the things we discuss in the book. And it's people always think it's all about CEOs. A lot of what happened in the economy was about 29-year-old PhDs from MIT who put together what they thought were brilliant mathematical models based on the last 30 years of numbers. And they had a lot of knowledge, but not a whole lot of wisdom. So what happened is every one of these mathematical models was based on an assumption. What never has happened never will happen. Well, sometimes what never has happened happens. And when that occurs, all those mathematical models went wrong, and, and the system started unraveling. So I think what you saw is a situation where people were reinforced for the wrong behavior, which is making quarterly numbers. And they got so focused on making this quarter's numbers and looking at models that seemed to work that they, they missed a real assessment of long-term risk and danger to their firms and to the broader society. I think that's an excellent uh, observation, uh, Marshall. And another thing that uh, you talk about in the book is, is obviously that you can change behaviors, uh, but it's really tough when it's ourselves. And yet so many managers and executives are measured about their competency for change management. Why is it so hard for them to move from changing the organization or changing a team to changing themselves? Well, 
One of the reasons is so hard to change is every time we get promoted, more and more people tell us how wonderful we are. And so the more successful we become, it doesn't get easier to change. It gets harder. One of my good coaching clients said, my suggestions become orders. If they're smart, they're orders. And if they're stupid, they're orders. And if I want them to be orders, if I do not want them to be orders, they're orders anyway. Well, he was a corporate CEO. When you're a corporate CEO, your, cor- your suggestions are orders. Or if you're an admiral in the Navy or a general in the Army, you don't make suggestions. You give orders. And pretty soon, if you're not careful, you start believing you're almost omnipotent. Uh, one of the generals that I knew was a great man named General Rick Shinseki. And we had a dinner one night, and there were seven generals there, and they were all men. And he looked at these guys, and they've just been promoted to be generals. And he said, you know, men, lately you tell jokes. Everybody laughs. Ho, 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 ho. He said, you're not that funny. And, you know, you make these comments, or I write them down. You're not that smart. Women want to seem to have sex with you. You're not handsome. It's just a star. They're not saluting you. They're just saluting the star. Never let this go to your head. Well, I try to share that message with all of my CEO-level clients. They're not saluting you. Your jokes aren't that funny. You're not that smart. It's just the star. And the second you let it go to your head, you've lost it. Sounds like a little bit of humility is a good uh, a good thing for these leaders. A very good thing. A very good thing. And it's so easy to lose. Marshall, I've been at the uh, drill performance potential appraisal uh, 30 years ago, and I remember distinctly that we had real problems getting not only the CEO but the whole organization to believe in and apply a performance and potential appraisal system. Uh, where is that today? Is that commonly used by CEOs in today's business? You know, I think it really depends on the company. I think you can work in some companies that are probably doing an excellent job and others that really aren't. And I'm asked a lot of questions. For example, I'm asked a question, do corporate executives want to do the kind of stuff that I do? And the answer is, well, the ones I work with do. I really can't speak to all the others. So when it comes to a question like what percentage of people in major corporations do this, the answer is probably I don't know. Well, it seems to me, uh, Marshall, that uh, a lot of what I'm hearing is that success doesn't always breed success and that sometimes uh, confidence be- can become overconfidence. Yes, so what is arrogance. your approach to helping people realize that these things can actually uh, become detrimental, come almost like an Achilles heel to them? Well, in my job, I interview everyone around my clients. I give them confidential 360-degree feedback. They do not know who said what. Then I work with them so that the person, and if they're not the boss, also their manager, agree on what are the most important behaviors that will make the biggest positive difference for this person. And uh, we agree on, as judged by whom, who are the key raters or stakeholders. Then one thing I teach people to do, and this is great for humility, is apologize. Talk to everyone about what you've learned. Apologize for your previous mistakes. Involve those coworkers around you and And that does put people on a much more even footing. I wrote an article about this once called To Help Others Develop, Start With Yourself. The best thing big leaders can do to help everybody else get better is let them watch you get better. You want them to improve, you improve. You want them to get feedback, you get feedback. So I think it's very important that leaders lead by role model more than leaders lead by preaching. First, we say... Today, uh, <clears throat> with the huge downturn in the economy and the 
tremendous rise in unemployment, uh, an awful lot of people who oftentimes have been put on the street for uh, issues that they really had nothing to do with. A lot of them did a good job in their company and did all the things, and yet they were still terminated. Your thoughts relative to how we can help them? Many of our listeners today are lacking in self-confidence and looking for specific ways to improve not only their attitude but results and ultimately their performance. Well, I think you're making an excellent point. For example, I worked in one very large bank, and the bank lost billions of dollars. 36 of 38 parts of the bank had fantastic years. Two parts lost all the money. Well, I think it's very important not to, I mean, I believe in taking responsibility, but you can't take responsibility for what you didn't do. And as you said, there are fantastic people out there being laid off who had nothing to do with this global economic crisis. It's just their company's lost, so they're getting punished for it. And I think the important thing is not to personalize it, not to blame yourself for things that you cannot control, and also not to fixate on what you cannot do. What you cannot do, you cannot do. Focus on the future. Try not to spend time and waste time blaming others. Get over it. Look ahead and say, what can I do? How can I make the biggest positive difference? And focus on doing that. The other thing I suggest to all the leaders I work with today is think like an entrepreneur. You're basically running a business here. It's called Me, Inc., and you really need to, in a positive way, be creative, entrepreneurial, come up with ideas on how to add value. And you need to think as if you're running a business in the same way that entrepreneurs have to think that they're running a business because if you don't think this way, you probably will not be too successful in the future. Well, those are two excellent pieces of advice, Marshall, and very consistent with what we teach in Job Search a Total System. We're going to take a little break now, but when we get back, we're going to explore, explore more of Marshall's insight into how you can get where you want to go. We'll be right back. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk, talk money, money all, all the, time. the time. Voice America Business. Earn a better job for better pay and achieve a better life with Job Search, the total system, now in its third edition. And through a host of valuable online resources at www.tcsworldwide.com, thousands have successfully used these proven techniques to make their dream job or career a reality. One total system user shared, This is without reservation the best advice on job search available. I used it over my career and each time got a better position for substantially increased pay. Go to www.tcsworldwide.com and advance your career today. While you're on the site, please check out TCS University, which will bring you advanced resources like sample resumes, career assessment, total career success tracks, links to coaching services, and much more. Read Get Off the Treadmill, the total career success blog from Ken and Cheryl Dawson, and check out our online store for products relating to the book and total career success. Visit the website today at www.tcsworldwide.com. Total career success. Better job, better pay, better life. 
Every week, Body Talk is here to answer your pressing questions about the fields of traditional, alternative, and functional medical science. Join hosts Dr. Stephen Ross and Drake Kellis as they uncover the truth behind some of today's ailments, symptoms, and diseases. You'll get the most up-to-date information on treatments and remedies and their effectiveness. Plus, you'll hear from leading experts on a variety of health topics. Listen for Body Talk with Dr. Stephen Ross and Drake Kellis, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Listening to Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts about today's show? Please call toll free at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to TCS on air at TCSWorldwide.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Ken and Cheryl Dawson with Marshall Goldsmith, executive coach and uh, author of What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And we've already covered some excellent ground, uh, Marshall. And, um, you know, I, I think many of us lapse into denial when we're confronted with feedback that may not be so flattering. Why does that occur? Well, we all accept feedback that is consistent with the way we see ourselves. We all reject or deny feedback that is inconsistent with the way we see ourselves. I've done a survey with Oh, tens of thousands of people that I've worked with over the years when I teach classes. And I say, compare yourself to your professional peers. How many of you think you're in the top 2, 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, or other? 85% of everyone thinks they're in the top 20%. 70% think they're in the top 10. And about 98.5% think they're in the top half. Well, the reality is that is statistically impossible. Successful people are delusional. And the more successful we become, the more delusional we get. And we all believe feedback that's consistent with what we believe about ourselves. We have these delusionally positive beliefs about ourselves. Obviously, that's the kind of feedback that we're going to want to hear. And by the way, statistically, as you pointed out, the higher up we go, it doesn't get easier to hear negative feedback. The higher up we go, it gets harder to hear negative feedback. Well, I think that's very true. And successful people are kind of steadfast to a fault. Why is that? Well, again, it's another characteristic that leads to success, that belief in ourselves and that drive and that determination, which means we don't want to give up. You know, and and once somebody's committed, they don't want to give up. And, you know, the old saying, winners never quit. Well, to a degree that's true. Sometimes it's time to quit. It is very hard for winners to just say, I was wrong. This isn't going to work. I've got the wrong strategy here. And can you see that the more dedicated, committed we are to this path, the harder it is to ever back away from that path? Marshall, in our book, we talk about the importance of working harder, smarter, longer, and the reason for that is to basically develop an environment of excellence, not only in yourself, but in your company or your department or whatever it happens to be. And that's the attitude we recommend that our clients take into the marketplace. I'm an excellent employee, I am an outstanding contributor, I have an excellent resume, I'm an excellent interviewer, and on and on and on. 
And that confidence is so critical in succeeding in the marketplace. Uh, prior to this, we had a, another guest on, a CEO of a company, who talks about how they have a policy right now where they're not hiring. However, they are accepting resumes of outstanding employees who fit their culture. And these are the kinds of things we're continually communicating to our listeners. There are always opportunities out there. Could you share with your thoughts on that? Well, one thing I always suggest today is really to go out and try to get offers. Get real offers. Too many people, I think, are just not going for it when they're going out there looking for jobs. As you said, they give up too easily. Uh, my general advice is get real offers. You can always say no to job offers, but you cannot say no to an offer you do not have. So I think very important, especially in today's tough times, is to realize, you know, who knows what's going to happen out there, to be open, to be flexible, to try to ask yourself what sounds exciting to me, and to really focus on getting real offers. The other thing is, and this sounds obvious, this next comment I'm going to make, but it's shocking how few people ever understand it at a deep level. Every decision in the world is made by the person who has the power to make that decision. Make peace with that. Once you make peace with that, you realize it's not their job to buy, it's your job to sell. If we influence decision makers, we make a difference. If we do not influence decision makers, we do not make a difference. So I teach my clients, especially if you're trying to influence important decision makers, is you need to think like a great salesperson. You need to treat these people like customers and you need to sell to their what they need. You don't sell to what you need. And this sort of basic training about how to sell and how to influence up, how to influence without authority, is seldom given. And it's amazing how few people have been trained to think this way. And, you know, you hear the student come home from school, it's not fair, I deserved an A, and the teacher gave me a C. Well, the reality is the teacher had the power to make the decision, kid, not you. You thought you deserved an A, and you got a C. Welcome to the real world. You, you didn't might have tell the seen, teacher. You might have just seen the survey that just came out that talked about how kids in college expect A's just for showing up. Oh, yeah. Not well, even doing anything, but just being there should get them an A. And, you know, that's very unfortunate because that's not true around the world. And, uh, you know, I work all around the world. I'm in India a lot. I'm in China a lot. And there's... Uh, there are millions of brilliant young people who are graduating from college today who are very smart, dedicated, hardworking, and they're hungry, and they want to win. And I did not compete with these bright young people, and you didn't compete with these bright young people, but you know what? Our kids, our grandkids are. And uh, the, the bar is going to be going up because they're not really there to get drunk or go to parties, and they don't expect everyone to give them anything. They're, they want to earn it. And if you've got a little competition between uh, one team and that pe these people just have expectations of something to be given to them, and a second team which wants to earn it, the hungry team wins. Oh, I think that's a great observation and, and, and one that's very important for us to all to hear. Uh, and you talked about the, the fact that so many successful people find it hard to change. When do you get to the point where you realize that um, your successes are in spite of your behavior and do want to change? Well, that's to me the value of getting confidential feedback. 
you know, I, I ask the people that I work with, who are those important stakeholders? Who are the most important people in your life? The people who you believe in, the people whose opinion you respect. And then I have them get feedback from those people, and they're typically, oh, in my database, say, average of about 18. Well, you know, if 18 important people have some perception about you, it's probably worth paying attention to. And you have a choice. You either can discount the value of these people or you can accept the feedback. And most of my clients are more than happy to listen to the people around them who they've selected and to hear what they have to say and try to get better based on all this good input. These people are not trying to hurt them. These people are trying to help them. Absolutely. And and when uh, a successful person kind of comes against that, you talk about the natural law of what's in it for me. They begin to see that if they change, there's going to be a reward. What typically are the, is that reward? Well, you know, it depends at what level you are in the organization. At the lower levels in the organization, people are looking typically for status, money, power, you know, then you move higher up, you start looking more for things like esteem. But then at the top, you're starting to look at, are you leaving a legacy? Are you doing something that matters? Are you providing meaning to the world? Are you making a contribution? So hopefully as you get a little bit older, those higher order needs start kicking in a little bit more. And especially when you've taken care of that status, money, and power thing, you can really start focusing more on deeper needs. I have these programs where I have uh, retiring CEOs come to my home and talk about what are they going to do with the rest of their lives. And typically, at that level, they're not talking about status, money, and power anymore. They're talking about meaning and contribution and happiness. Marshall, the <clears throat> generations today are very different than the generations of our era. Um, share with our listeners your observations on what might be called the generation gap and and how that's uh, uh, perhaps merging today or getting better or worse? or Where do you see that, that whole issue? Well, I think one thing you see right now, which is unfortunate, is you're starting to see they saying that 70 is the new 20. Hmm. You're starting to see a lot of entry-level jobs filled by retirees now who can no longer afford to retire. Exactly. And you're also starting to see competition out there in the market. You're also seeing... Oh, younger people being blocked from advancement by older people who thought they were going to retire and can't. So there's so many people out there today whose 401k plans have been decimated who are now not leaving. So you're starting to see more of a sense of blockage, I think, that is frustrating to young people. And, you know, I think something they hadn't planned on. And in terms of, you know, the generation, I don't think you just can say generation of all young people, it's generation of young people where? You can't assume that young people in India are the same as young people in the United States or the same as young people in Western Europe or the same as young people in China because each one of these cultures has some different variables kicking in. What I find is really challenging, and I think the world's going to be tough for young affluent people, people who are brought up in a reasonably affluent environment because these young people are going to be competing with young hungry people. And as I said earlier, I would probably bet on the young hungry as opposed to the young affluent. It's going to be tough for people who are brought up in an affluent environment and are not used to having to compete. They're used to getting prizes for coming in ninth place. Well, you know what? In the real world, you don't get prizes for ninth place. Yeah. Again, a little humility will will be uh, desperately needed in those situations. Will you name uh, 20 habits that people should stop in order to succeed? What is the 
best way to stop doing something that is annoying? Well, Peter Drucker inspired me to write the book. I was on the board of the Peter Drucker Foundation for, for 10 years. He said, we spend a lot of time teaching leaders what to do. We do not spend enough time teaching leaders what to stop. He said, half the leaders I meet don't need to learn what to do. They need to learn what to stop. And that's what inspired my book. Uh, the first annoying habit I talk about of the 20 is called winning too much. I was interviewed in the Harvard Business Review and asked a question, what is the number one problem of the people that you work with? And my answer was winning too much. Winners like to win. If it's important, we want to win. If it's meaningful, we want to win. If it's critical, we want to win. If it's trivial, we want to win. And if it's not worth it, we want to win anyway. <laughs> Winners just like winning. I use a case study in my book that 75% of my clients fail. You want to go to dinner at restaurant X. Your husband, wife, partner, friend, or significant other wants to go to dinner at restaurant Y. If a heated argument, you go to restaurant Y. It was not your choice. The food tastes awful. The service is terrible. Option A, critique the food. Point out our partner was wrong. This mistake could have been avoided if only they would have listened to me, me, me. Option B, shut up. Eat the stupid food. Try to enjoy it and have a nice evening. What would I do? What should I do? 75% of my clients, what would I do? Critique the food. What should I do? Shut up. Well, it's very hard for winners not to constantly go through life winning. So your answer is just shift into neutral. Yes, and one of the things to do is you don't always have to win. Uh, one thing I teach people is like my good friend. Before you speak, I ask him, when I was your coach, the CEO who said, my suggestions become orders, I asked him, what did you learn from me that helped you the most? He said, you taught me one lesson that helped me be a better CEO and have a happier life. And I asked him, what was it? He said, stop and breathe. Ask myself, is it worth it? Before I speak. And he said, 50% of the time, your term was good one, shift into neutral. If he would stop and breathe and, and just think, is it worth it? You know what he would decide? Am I right? Maybe. Is it worth it? No. Just sit there and say thank you and listen to the other person. And you don't have to express an you don't have to express an opinion on every topic. Sometimes, as you said, that neutral terminology is much better. Let me give well, you another example. Uh, well, before we do that, we're going to take a little break here, Marshall, and we'll get to that when we get back and learn more about how you can improve your bad habits. Stay tuned. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Earn a better job for better pay and achieve a better life with Job Search, the total system, now in its third edition. And through a host of valuable online resources at www.tcsworldwide.com, thousands have successfully used these proven techniques to make their dream job or career a reality. One total system user shared, This is without reservation the best advice on job search available. I used it over my career and each time got a better position for substantially increased pay. Go 
to www.tcsworldwide.com and advance your career today. While you're on the site, please check out TCS University, which will bring you advanced resources like sample resumes, career assessment, total career success tracks, links to coaching services, and much more. Read Get Off the Treadmill, the total career success blog from Ken and Cheryl Dawson. And check out our online store for products relating to the book and total career success. Visit the website today at www.tcsworldwide.com. Total career success. Better job, better pay, better life. Feeling overworked? Overwhelmed? Do you feel like you could use a getaway right about now? Have we got a show for you. It's called De-Stress Radio, and this show will help you take control of the stress in your life. Join hosts Robin Siegel and Marin Vertok every week. They'll motivate you to attain balance in both your personal and professional life. You'll want to share each episode with those important to you. Listen for De-Stress Radio with Robin and Marin every Wednesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Listening to Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Do you have a question or comment for the host about today's show? Please call toll free at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to TCS on air at TCSWorldwide.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Ken and Cheryl Dawson with Marshall Goldsmith, author of What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And, Marshall, at break, we were talking about how sometimes just going into neutral is the best way to deal um, with the, the, the annoying habit of saying too much. What, what can we do when um, we have this you know, desire to put our two cents in to every discussion? Well, the, fir- the first suggestion is breathe. And then a common suggestion I have is, uh, look at that. Uh, look in the other person's eyes and ask an important question. What is more important, this little comment I'm about to make, or my relationship with this human being? And if we do this, you know what we find out a lot of times? That little comment we're about to make really doesn't matter that much, and our relationship with that human being that matters a whole lot. And maybe the thing is just to focus on building the relationship and not that comment. One of the things I teach is something called feed forward. And in feed forward, what I teach people to do is uh, ask for input, listen, try to learn from the other person, and just say thank you. Don't judge or critique comments. Just learn to shut up and say thank you. And one gentleman said, when practicing this exercise, he said, I listen almost better than I ever have in my life. And I asked him why. He said, normally when others speak, I'm so busy composing my next comment to prove how smart I am. I'm not listening. I'm just composing. He said, it's amazing how much better I could listen mm-hmm. when I just learned to say thank you. I think that is such a, a great technique that uh, many of us can learn from. Uh, you know, we can all appreciate that passing judgment on others uh, can be a problem, since we rarely appreciate it when others judge us. So how can this become a bad habit? 
Well, you know, four words I typically give people to become better coaches are help more and judge less. Help more and judge less. And what I teach people is, you know, we do too much judging and not enough helping. And it's not that we should never make judgments. It's just we shouldn't always make judgments. And we shouldn't just habitually make judgments. And our natural tendency is just to sort of immediately lapse into this judging mode as opposed to backing away and stopping and listening and saying thank you and trying to learn from other people. So a lot of this is discipline. Uh, A lot of my best clients, by the way, are people like chief financial officers or accountants or people like that. And the reason is they're just disciplined and they're, they're used to doing this kind of stuff in a disciplined way and they learn the discipline of, of not talking all the time. Marshall, do you find that um, CEOs today or companies today are, are becoming more receptive to your message, more receptive to doing what it is they should do as opposed to what they have done? Well, it depends. I mean, the ones I work with are. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> yeah, it's the ones I work with are very receptive because, you see, I don't get paid if they don't get better. So if they're not interested in really trying hard and doing this seriously, then there's very little interest in working with them. So I think in general, people are more receptive than they were in the past. And the reason is, in the past, people didn't manage knowledge workers as much as they do today. What is the definition of a knowledge worker? Well, they know more about what they're doing than their boss does. Well, when you manage knowledge workers, people that know more about what they're doing than you know about what they're doing, then you can't just tell them what to do and how to do it. You have to ask, you have to listen, you have to learn just by the nature of the people you're managing. Let's take, for example, the military. It's a common mis- misperception that in the military, the big leaders just bark orders all the time. <clears throat> Nothing could be further from the truth. Number one, most of the military is not combat. Combat is just a tiny percent of what goes on in the military. And most of the military, especially at the high end, is managing a technology business. Well, these are smart people with graduate degrees that you're managing. You can't yell and scream at these people. You have to ask, listen, learn from these people, recruit them, get their commitment. So I think the world of leadership in that way has changed a whole lot. And again, I work in the military, and, you know, I teach admirals and generals, and, you know, my stuff goes over very well. You make an allusion here to to yelling and screaming, and uh, speaking when angry is, is often considered an effective management technique. Why isn't it, and how can one overcome that if it's become a habit? Well, I don't really consider it to be an effective management technique. And if you've ever had a boss who yelled and screamed at you, I doubt you would consider it to be an effective management technique. But those doing it sometimes think it is. Those doing it sometimes think it is. The rest of the world seldom agrees with that assessment. And I think uh, the key in when we start getting angry or out of control is to look in the mirror. Uh, I I gave an example in the book with my own daughter. I'm very proud of my daughter. She's just finished her Ph.D. at Yale. She's going to be a professor of marketing at the Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management. Uh, She's a fine kid, but when she was 15, she did something Daddy was not so thrilled with. She was ahead of Britney Spears in acquiring a naval ring. There's no use having a naval ring if no one can see it, so she got a sleazy outfit to highlight the naval ring. <laughs> and Daddy comes home and sees the naval ring and sleazy outfit. I reacted with something less than wild enthusiasm. Yelling, screaming, ranting, raving. Years later, I was at a little Buddhist monastery with the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. He encouraged us to meditate on a variety of topics, and one day the topic was anger. He said, think to a time in your life when you became angry and lost control of your behavior. 
we will analyze who was responsible for what happened. Well, I came up with a case about my daughter, and then I meditated on this, and I thought, what was I thinking? First thought, someone walking down the street and saying, what a cheap-looking kid. I wonder who her father is. <laughs> Second thought, even worse, my own friends. I'm amazed Marshall lets his daughter look this way. Who was I concerned about here, her or me? Was a deeper issue her navel ring or my ego? Well, when we get angry and start losing control, I think it's very wise to look in the mirror and ask a question. How much of this problem is out there and how much of this problem is in here? And about 80% of the time, our biggest problem is not out there. Our biggest problem is in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gives a lot of, uh, time, a lot of uh, reflection for all of us. And you mentioned two other habits that uh, really kind of hit hit the heart of the issue is failing to give recognition and claiming credit when we don't deserve it obviously uh, can demoralize people and, and are pretty common in the workplace. What underlies these habits and what do you suggest to improve? Well, failure to give recognition, I find the typical reason is we just don't think about it enough. Uh, just a couple of real quick suggestions I give the leaders I work Get in the habit of asking people around you a question. What are you proud of? And once they start talking about what they're proud of, you're probably going to learn things that you should have been recognizing but didn't understand were significant, and you can really recognize more of those things. And one of my clients taught me a really good technique about recognition. He said, make a list of the key influences in your life, friends, family, direct reports, coworkers, customers, and then Twice a week, once on Wednesday and once on Friday, you look at this list and say, did anybody on this page do something I should recognize? If they did, email, voicemail, a little note. If they did not, he did not want to say anything. He didn't want to be a hypocrite or a pony. In one year, he went from a 6 percentile to a 94 in giving recognition. This is all he did. You don't really have to do that much. You just need to do something that's important and stick with it. Marshall, do you see a correlation between... uh your techniques, your advice, and a company's performance? I see a correlation between my advice and people's behavior. I do not make the judgment that this is or is not the right behavior. The company does that. So I'm probably the only person you've ever talked to who's a teacher that's done research with 86,000 people that has been published in the Journal of Strategy and Business from eight major companies. And I measure, do people get better? And do they actually use these techniques that I talk about? And what I find is the people that get feedback, talk to people, and follow up on a rigorous basis achieve positive, lasting change in behavior. The ones that don't, don't. Is this the right behavior for the company? Is it worth the money? I don't make that judgment. I never sell my clients on the value of what I do. They sell me. And the way my business works is I look at the CEO and say, if this person gets better at this behavior, is judged by these people, is it worth this money? the answer is no, don't hire me. The answer is yes, then you can't lose. They get better, I get paid. They do not get better, it's all free. But wouldn't so, it be interesting to take that to the next level and determine whether or not a company's performance has, in fact? Well, the reality is I have a degree in math. And uh, the performance, most of my clients are multi-billion dollar companies whose performance is impacted by hundreds of variables. And for anybody to sit there and say you can manipulate one variable and just because of this, the performance of a bank or an oil company is going to change because anybody got better at anything in one individual, that's just mathematically not valid. It's an intriguing idea, but it's not real. Now, it's, uh, it would be tough to measure that indeed. Well, 
there's certainly um, all of us can relate to one or more of your bad habits, but number 21 on the list is gets a unique category. Why is that? Well, that's because it's kind of related to all of them, and it's called goal obsession. Achievers like to achieve. And I use examples in the book of how we can become so obsessed with achieving goals that we forget about our mission. And that's what happens when you have goal obsession. You get so obsessed with achieving a goal or a task, you forget about something that's more important. Oh, Marshall, we're going to have to take a quick break here, and when we get back, we're going to talk more about that. So stay tuned. Thank you. Sell, buy, buy, sell. All we talk about is money. Talk to an expert. Call now. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Earn a better job for better pay and achieve a better life with Job Search, the total system, now in its third edition and through a host of valuable online resources at www.tcsworldwide.com. Thousands have successfully used these proven techniques to make their dream job or career a reality. One total system user shared, This is without reservation the best advice on job search available. I used it over my career and each time got a better position for substantially increased pay. Go to www.tcsworldwide.com and advance your career today. While you're on the site, please check out TCS University, which will bring you advanced resources like sample resumes, career assessment, total career success tracks, links to coaching services, and much more. Read Get Off the Treadmill, the total career success blog from Ken and Cheryl Dawson, and check out our online store for products relating to the book and total career success. Visit the website today at www.tcsworldwide.com. Total career success, better job, better pay, better life. Wielding power, shaping environments and outcomes, and making things happen are all essential characteristics of great leaders. Yet these qualities alone are not enough to ensure your success. In a complex world, how do you decide what's most important to you? In your career, your relationships, your finances, your family, in the world around you, in the whole of your life at large. Dr. Joseph Riggio, the host of Leadership Intuition, says that personal leadership, the desire to take charge of your life, is the key to creating futures that work and building a life worth living. Join Joseph as he reveals the power of uncovering and living your own personal mythology, the key to personal transformation, exquisite performance, and social influence. Learn to look inside and discover your personal mythology and unique leadership style. Go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint on Leadership Intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership Intuitions, power, achievement, relationships. Listening to Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Do you have a question or comment for the host about today's show? Please call toll free at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to TCS on air at TCSWorldwide.com. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back. This is Ken and Cheryl Dawson with Marshall Goldsmith, and we have been talking about how you can improve your career by getting rid of bad habits. And, Marshall, you were sharing with us that habit number 21 is probably the root of all evil. Tell us about goal obsession. Well, again, it occurs when we get so wrapped up at achieving our task or goal that we forget about our larger mission. And I mentioned several examples in my book. One of them is Wall Street. I'm working with this guy down on Wall Street. You know, he's very negative and always angry. And I say, why are you so angry? He says, why are you so upset? I have to work 90 hours a week. Well, I said, why do you have to work 90 hours a week? Why do you think I work 90 hours a week? I want to make money. Why do you need so much money? I've been married three years, or three times. Do you have any idea how much alimony you have to pay? Why have you been married three times? None of my wives understood how hard I had to work. Well, see, he gets so wrapped up at his goal and doing something that seemed important, he forgot about things that were actually much more important. Uh, another example is the great movie, The Bridge on the River Kwai, which if you've ever seen the movie, Academy Award-winning oh, movie. Fantastic movie about goal obsession. Colonel Nicholson, the British commander, gets so obsessed with his goal, build a great bridge, he forgot about his mission, win the Great War. And at the end of the movie, what does he say? What have I done? I've been building a bridge, but I've been building a bridge for the wrong side. And then finally, an example I use in the book is the greatest example of this involving research. It's called the Good Samaritan Research at Princeton Theology Seminary. They take a bunch of ministers, and half of them, they say, you're 10 minutes late, get across campus and deliver a sermon on the topic of the Good Samaritan. And the minister starts running across campus. They have an actor playing the role of a dying person who goes, help me, help me, I'm dying, help me, help me, help me. Ninety percent of the ministers in Princeton Theology Seminary, when told they were ten minutes late to deliver a sermon on the topic of the Good Samaritan, ignored the pleas of a person in need. Well, I interviewed the researchers, and these were not bad people. Mm -hmm. These were good people, probably better people than we are. We would have done the same thing. You take a successful person, you give them a goal, you tell them it's important, and you put them under time pressure. If we're not careful, it's all over. We become so fixated on achieving that goal that we forget our mission. We become so fixated on winning the basketball game that we forget we're playing against our 12-year-old son. We become so fixated on winning the argument we forget that we're insulting our wife. And this happens over and over and over again. I guess practicing what you preach is a good message to come out of that, isn't it? Yes, and again, everything I talk about in my book is very easy to understand. It is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. These are very oftentimes very deep, deep-seated habits that have you know, been kicking in for years, and it's really hard to get rid of these things. We've heard, too, um, Marshall, that and probably have experienced it in our own careers, is that people get hired for their technical skills and fired for their interpersonal skills or lack thereof. Exactly. Why are behavioral skills so critical to success? One reason is they're not taught in school. Well, they're important because if you have to deal with people, behavioral skills are everything because your job really is not being a technician. It's influencing people. Number two uh, the amount of training people get on technical skills is far greater than the amount of training people get on behavioral skills. Most people that have technical skills are highly trained in these technical areas and have spent years learning these technical skills and have had very little, if any, training on behavioral skills. Then they go to work and find out behavioral skills are more important 
I was just at the University of California, the Haas Business School, and their MBA students. And what did they learn? The number one and two reason people fail when they go to work for large companies with MBAs is they can't accept feedback and they can't deal well with feedback and they have a hard time relating to people or building interpersonal relationships. Well, it's exactly the same things you're talking about. These aren't technical skills. They're all smart, technically qualified people. Problems, people issues. Mm-hmm. Marshall, your latest book, uh, Succession, Are You Ready? Uh, fascinating. Uh, basically addressed to the CEO in terms of what that individual has to do to prepare for the transition, um, but applies across the board at virtually every level of the organization, does it not? And also with entrepreneurs, it applies even more because they are so ego-identified with their work, even more than corporate executives, I find. So yet it applies at all levels. In that book, I talk about the importance of uh, letting go, creating a great rest of your life, the importance of developing your successor. And, you know, and that's what the whole book is about. I also wrote a Harvard Business Review article in January called How Not to Lose the Top Job. And that's kind of the mirror image of the book. The book is written like I am talking to a CEO. The article is written like I'm talking to a potential CEO. In the book, I talk about the challenges of letting go. And in the article, I talk about the challenges of getting that next job. For the um, listeners, one of the critical messages, obviously, is to identify the culture and uh, do everything you can to make sure there's a culture fit, if you will, in that your personality and your attitude is consistent as much as possible with that of your interviewer and the organization. That's right. And you know what? Everybody doesn't fit everywhere, and that's okay. doesn't mean there's a problem with the person or the organization. Marshall, you, uh, I, I was really um, intrigued with uh, your book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And just going back to that to a moment, because I want to bring in that last chapter. It's such a gem. Uh, you talk about people who value what, what people value at the end of their lives. And mm. off top four themes are happiness, relationships, following one's dreams, and having meaning to one's life. That's so right. Tell us about that survey you did of high potentials, because I think that's really interesting. Well, it was two things. One, a friend of mine studied old folks who were dying, and he asked them what's important, and they came up with those topics you mentioned. And then I did a survey of young high-potential leaders and ironically found just about the same thing. And what we found out when we studied high-potential leaders is they wanted to work in an environment where they were happy. They wanted to find meaning in what they were doing. Um, They, you know, wanted to have great relationships with people, and they wanted to have a chance to follow their dreams. You know, and it's it's kind of interesting at any phase in life, these factors, at least hopefully, kick in. And if you look at it, I deal with the same thing with retiring CEOs. I talk about it in my book. I, you know, most of them have plenty of stuff and money and all that. So they really need to focus on meaning, happiness, contribution. What does all this mean? And by the way, I think particularly today, in today's hard times, very important to focus on helping people any way we can. A lot of people are hurt out there today, mm-hmm. and everybody's your friend when you're up. Not so many people are your friend when you're down. So I think, you know, out there, there's a lot of people who are down, who've been hurt, who've lost money, who've lost their jobs. You know, whatever we can do to help these people, to encourage these people is really an important thing. Not enough of us do that. 
Marshall, we only have a couple minutes left, but if we can, let's focus on the listener and for those people who are hurting. Some gems you have, um, perhaps confidence builders or anything you could share with them that would really help them in their current state. And, Marshall, we just have a minute, so if you could also tell our listeners where they can get a hold of your books. Well, um, to get a hold of my stuff, it's all on Amazon.com, BN.com. That's the easiest way to buy all of those things. My website's www.MarshallGoldsmithLibrary.com. And there I give away all my articles. You can copy, share, download, duplicate, use any of my materials any way you want to. And I guess my final advice to those people out there is, you know, every day is a new day. Start over. Hit the reset button. Let go of the past. You can't change it anyway. Don't blame yourself for huge environmental or societal factors you didn't cause. You just tell yourself, all right, I'm going to start now with what I've got. I'm going to make the best of what I can do with what I have to work with today. Yesterday's over. Let's start from scratch. Well, that's certainly great advice, Marshall. And Ken and I just want to thank you so much for taking time to be on our show today. And uh, we're going to have a very interesting and dynamic show next week as well. So I hope you'll come back to join us. And, Ken? Thank you very much, very much. Uh, Marshall, really a pleasure. Look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again for joining us this week on Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Remember to join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, here on Voice America.